0: Hello guys, welcome to Big House. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Nikki, I work here at Orchard. Um, The last few weeks, we have been talking about a question that Jesus asked his disciples. And this is a question that we think is important, probably the most important question you're going to answer in your life. Does anybody know what the question is? There we go, nice job. You've really been paying attention to answer that. So it's a question that um, Jesus asks his disciples, and he's going to ask each one of us, who do you say that I am? And um, we really think that the world puts a lot of pressure on you and tells you different things about God, and that probably your life experiences um, lead you to believe things about God, and we don't always know how accurate those are. So we want you to know that a place that you can go to learn about who God really is, um, is the Bible, where he tells us um, about himself through stories about himself. So, Tyler, do you guys remember when Tyler spoke? Yes, he's hilarious. How can you forget? So he taught about Peter and when Peter denied Jesus three times. And um, what we learned there is that God is never surprised. There's nothing he doesn't know and that he's never disappointed in us. That idea that he doesn't like our sin is disappointed in that, but it doesn't change how he feels about us. And then last week, Jeff Mickey really um, did an incredible job when he talked about Lazarus and the power that God had to raise him from the dead, and um, that in that, that Jesus will surprise us, that God will surprise us and won't disappoint us. That it may feel like we're disappointed, but if you just wait on him and wait it out, that he um, can give you abundant life. So tonight, we're going to talk about a different story in the Bible, and this one is about the woman caught in the act of adultery. And what we're going to talk about tonight is that God does not want us to live a life full of regret, And then he has something way more for us. And so to do that, I just kind of want to paint a picture. And tonight, as I talked this story out with two of my good friends, we just had more questions than answers, okay? So tonight I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. I'll try to help you if they're ones you're supposed to answer, if they're like rhetorical ones that you're not supposed to answer. I'll pause really long if you're supposed to answer it. Okay, so the first one is, have you ever got in over your head on something? Have you ever? Yes, good job. Have you ever been caught doing something? Um, I've had that feeling before where it's like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I wish I could have a do-over and take that one back. And I would say currently this happens to me, this feeling, almost daily. And the reason for that is that I have four sweet little kids. I think we have a picture of them. And this was at the pumpkin patch this year. And you're gonna wanna pay attention because that story comes in later. It's very important. They all have pig noses on there. Why the Pumpkin Patch sold pig noses, I don't quite understand. But they were a big hit in our family. Um, So they're amazing, they're the best part of my life, but they remind me every day um, how I'm in over my head, and uh, like they expose me for the phony that I am. So, most of my days don't start like that. Like every other mom, um, I'm on Pinterest, and I'm planning their school lunches that are going to be perfect, and I'm printing out charts about all the amazing things I'm going to teach them, and uh, all the crafts we're gonna do. And then at some point in every day, I completely lose my crap. And I'm gonna give you some examples so you can understand. So the day of the picture, the night before, Will, my oldest, um, he's seven, he had gotten sick, threw up a couple times in the middle of the night, but when he woke up, he said, I can do it, I wanna go to the pumpkin patch, so we went. And it was a perfect day, like actually amazing. And it was an hour drive to the pumpkin patch, and halfway home, um, I don't know if you've seen our van, it's huge. And so it was me, my family, and my sister were driving home, and the baby starts puking. And I'm not talking about, like, spit up, I'm talking about, like, poltergeist projectile vomit. And if you've ever seen a one-year-old throw up, they don't know what's happening. They're terrified she was, like, chewing it to try to swallow it. So I'm ramming her head over everything we have, sweatshirts, plastic bags, but she doesn't know what I'm doing. She doesn't know that's going to help her, right? So she's not throwing up on herself. So she's screaming as I'm jamming her head over a plastic bag. So we get home. I cannot explain how rancid the car smelled after 30 minutes of this. So uh, everybody gets out of the car. Jacob takes the other three, and I'm figuring out how to get the puke-covered baby out of the car. And then I turn, and they're all stopped right there. And they're stopped because Violet, our 3-year-old, is now puking. And Jacob, I'm like, is she okay? And Jacob turns around and just covered and vomit. So we get them in bed, and let me tell you what the rest of the night was like. I don't know what kind of bug can possibly, possibly do this, but two little girls on cue every 30 to 40 minutes at the same time would sit up and projectile vomit. And remember what I said, they don't know to like hold their head over, so they're just puking over themselves. So this started at 8.30 and at 2.30 in the morning when Jacob and I, that's my husband, are in the living room slamming little girls' heads over buckets. Everybody's crying. Jacob screams out, what the heck is going on? Only he did not say the word heck. And that kind of summarizes how I feel about parenting a lot of days. And I just want to clarify, it's not because of them, it's because of my failures. Um, Another example, as I'm trying to meet with Jeff Mickey, work with him, Uh, just yesterday, in the first 20 minutes of us meeting at my kitchen table, which I cleared off nicely, the coffee that Jeff had bought me, a fala latte, the best, had been spilled, Olive had pooped her pants everywhere to the point of having to have a bath in the sink, then proceeded to dump a bucket of water on the floor while Violet covered the entire table we were trying to speak at with stickers. Okay, so that's what goes on. That's when I start to lose my cool and I swear under my breath or sometimes not so under my breath, Um, And then I was exposed. And this, I have one kid of mine back there on Monday, and you can ask him. Monday, we're running late, we're walking out the door to school, and as Violet pulls up my dress and asks why I'm wearing shorts under my dress, which I think is pretty self-explanatory because that's how often that it happens that I have to wear shorts under my dress, because one of them is always doing that. And I'm yelling at them, like, we do this every single day. You're not supposed to be hitting your brother with a stick right now. You're not supposed to go into the back door of the van. You just get in your seats and sit down and buckle up. I'm screaming. Um, One-year-old little girls have an incredible strength when they don't want to get in their car seat. So I'm actually, like, karate chopping the baby to get her, like, because she's arched up to get her in her seat. So all this happened. I walk around to get in my seat in the van, and my neighbor lady is sitting out there. And of all the offensive things she could say to me, she broke me down in three words. She said, you look beautiful. Yeah, three words. Of all the mean things. Like, I didn't look beautiful, I looked psychotic. And I'm like, yeah, I think I'm going to kill my kids. And she goes, yeah, I can tell. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got in my car, start crying, take the kids to school. So, I don't know if you've ever felt exposed for what you really are, but that happens to me regularly. And I want you to listen to this story of a woman on her worst day, caught and exposed. So this is from John 8, and I think we're gonna throw it up there and you can read along. John 8, starting in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd had soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers and religious the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman is caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses says, Stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. But they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, All right, but the one of you who has never sinned, throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with this woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So this story is a little different than the last two. And honestly, that's why I had to start asking all my friends. What I'm supposed to teach on. Because, see, we don't know anything about the woman before. We knew about Peter. We knew um, about Lazarus. And we don't know anything about her afterwards. We know that Peter, even though he denied Jesus, went on and, like, helped to build the church, which is a happy ending. I guess aside from the upside-down crucifixion part, it was a happy ending for him. Lazarus got brought back to life. But all we know about this woman was that she um, was nameless, that she was caught in the act of adultery. And how little we know about her actually is probably super fitting because the Pharisees could have cared less about her. I don't think they cared about her. I don't even think they cared about her sin. She was simply bait for them to try to set a trap to catch Jesus. She was alone. She was exposed in her sin, vulnerable and scared. So I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the three different types of people in this story. So you have the adulterous woman... You have the Pharisees, the guys with stones, and then you have Jesus. And we're going to look at each one of these um, groups of people, and we're going to look at them by asking more questions. And I want you to see if there's anyone that you can relate to. This is how sweet my kids actually are, because right here it says, I love you, Mom, from Will. So it's, yeah, I suck. Um, so thanks, Will. I love you, too. Um. So, I want you to picture the woman. We're going to talk about her first, okay? I want you to actually picture what she looked like. Like, it said she was caught in the act of adultery, okay? So, I'm assuming she wasn't probably, like, properly dressed when she was there, right? Um, We talked about how she felt. She probably felt exposed and vulnerable and scared. I mean, they're talking about stoning her. That's what the law said to do if you were caught in the act of adultery. And I just wonder, if after this encounter with death, this near-death experience, Was it easy for her to live a life obedient to Jesus? I wonder if we all need these like near-death experiences to actually start to live out a life of obedience. You know, people tell us that because of God's grace, we can live a life without regret. But I think it's even more than that. I think that Jesus tells this woman way more. Listen to the way he challenges her. He says, go and sin no more. That's a crazy idea. I almost wonder if being stoned and paying the consequences for her sins was easier than the idea of going and being perfect. Because, guys, it's not like she was seeking Jesus out. She didn't necessarily want to change. She was caught in it, right? That's a crazy challenge, and I think it's the same challenge that Jesus tells us, go and sin no more. Let's talk about the men for a second, the men with stones what do we know about them? We know that they wanted to trip Jesus up and they thought they had found a way. You realize there was no right answer. If he said, yeah, the law of Moses that God gave him, uh, yeah, you don't have to follow that. That's the wrong answer, right? But if he said, yep, go ahead and stone her, obviously that's the wrong answer, right? So there was no right answer. So my question is, who are the ones in your life who throw stones at you? I want you to think about that who tries to expose you in your brokenness who tries to poke holes in your faith and now it gets uncomfortable who are the people that you have set standards for and they aren't living up to it who are you trying to expose i think of like how many times i'm like oh they say they're a christian but they blah blah blah, blah. And this story came to my mind of some time that I did this when I was your guys' age, and it still haunts me. I was sitting at the lunch table. I was probably like a junior or a senior in high school. And a gal in my class, her name was Larissa, she was just always kind. She was really just actually nice all the time. And her little sister was a freshman, and all the guys in our grade thought she was beautiful because she was. They were talking about how good-looking she was when she was walking by. And truthfully, this little girl was pretty promiscuous. And I proceeded to say, yeah, she's good looking, but she's, uh, and then you can just insert a word that I put there. That was not a pause to answer, but you're right. That's the word I said. And I looked, (laughs) you're not in trouble. It's okay. It's interactive. Good job. And right as that word that starts with a W came out of my mouth, I looked down the table to see her sister sitting there. And I was just like, right when the words come out, i don't think you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe, like, what gives me the right to say that? Like, who am I? Oh, my gosh, I just wanted to die. So who in your life do you feel that you have the right to just really lay into them? I wonder if these guys had regrets of their own. And I think they do, because I want to read this part um, of the passage. It starts in, like, the middle of verse 7. Jesus says, all right, but let the one of you Who has never sinned, throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and he began to write in the dust. And then the accusers, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest first. And if you guys are anything like me, you're trying to figure out what the heck Jesus was writing, right? And so some people say that he was writing the sins of all the Pharisees in the dust. And whether or not he was doing that, they got the picture because it says the oldest ones, probably the wiser ones, walked away first. And I can relate to these guys in their ugliness and in their need to condemn. I don't know why we do that. I don't know if we do it to feel better about ourselves or to avoid looking at our own stuff, but I've done that. And last, I want to look at Jesus. I think a lot of times the question that we have about Jesus is he like this all-forgiving, merciful God Or is he this just God, this God who makes rules to ruin our fun? And I think that this story completely answers that and gives us the most accurate picture of who he is. We already said that the woman probably felt completely alone. But you guys, she wasn't. Jesus was with her, standing right by her side in the most remarkable way. Because you see, he didn't pardon her sin, he didn't excuse her sin. It says this in verse 7. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one of you who has never sinned throw the first stone. He called her sin what it was, and he said that there needed to be payment for this sin. But then he did this spin that only God can do, and he threw it right back at them. He said, Whoever's perfect, you start it. He didn't even feel the need to defend himself against their trap he didn't even feel the need to fight back he just said go ahead but whoever's perfect you do it first and the amazing thing is because you realize he he sat down in the dust twice and wrote right so what he did was he took I mean this is a crowd of people a half-clothed woman in the middle and he somehow got all their attention off her and put it on him when he sat down and started writing And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until it was only Jesus left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. When all of the dust had settled, and it was just him and her, And she had to face what she'd done. He said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And the truth is, if you haven't yet sat in that spot, you're going to. Where you have to look at Jesus and face what you did. And he's going to say the exact same thing to you. This woman was at her absolute lowest. And he tells her to go and sin no more. The woman caught in the act. She didn't necessarily even want to change. And he says, go away and be perfect. How can he leave her with that challenge? That's insane. Why did he possibly have that much faith in her or in any of us? He said the same thing to Peter. You've screwed up three times. You denied me three times, and I still want to work through you. And it's the same exact challenge that he gives you and he gives me. Jesus can confidently tell her to go and sin no more because he knows the rest of the story. He can say, go and sin no more because he knows that he's going to bend down and take on her sin. He's going to take on the the adultery. He's going to take on the filth. He's going to take it all on, put it on himself, and pay the price. He can confidently tell her to go and sin no more because he was going to make that possible. Like, this is incredibly powerful. What he did in this moment was he delivered her temporarily from the punishment that she had, right? He dispersed the people who wanted to kill her. But what she didn't yet know was that he was going to do this once and for all, for all of us. That instead of temporarily dispersing, he was going to end it all because he was going to put on all our shame, all our sin, all our shame, all our regret and go to the cross. And she couldn't possibly understand that yet. Maybe she would later. But she had written a check that she could not cash and she knew that. And she knew that no one was there to help her. And I want you to think about this because if you're caught in the act of adultery, you're not the only person there. Like where was the guy that she was with? He was nowhere to be found. And Jesus covered it. We aren't capable of perfection. To be honest, probably the only thing we're capable of is messing things up and creating regrets. And then the world takes advantage of us when we're at our lowest point and it drags us in and it kicks us out and it exposes us for our brokenness and we're left to fend for ourselves. And Jesus has this amazing way of standing with broken people and he looks beyond their sin. And he says, you aren't innocent, and you need a defender who can stand by you. And even if you don't fully get it, I'll stand with you. I'll create a way for you to get back to me, despite the fact that you're the one who broke the way in the first place, through your sin, through your regret. So my question is, what do we do with this? God wants you to live a life without tons of regrets. He wants you to not have to live with the consequences that you create. But even the regrets that you do create, he'll take those too. And he'll offer you forgiveness and an abundant life in him alone that's far better than anything in this world. Because you guys, you were meant and created to be in this community with Jesus. And then our sin destroyed that, and then he found a way to make that right again. He fixed it. And if you know that, if you recognize that pardon that you're given, that grace, should our lives look a little different? I'm going to invite the band up. And as we get ready to worship, um, and as we worship, I just want you guys to think a little bit. If you really recognize this, maybe we should be thankful. Maybe we should seek intimate relationship with our Lord who defends us, who saves us, our rescuer. And then think, can we even go a step farther and can we stand with other people? Can we use our influence to share this with other people, to forgive other people, to not cast stones? And can we seek shelter and forgiveness over and over and over from Jesus? May you bow your heads with me? God um, as we look at this story I'm just overwhelmed by the fact that you when she didn't understand and when we don't understand just completely take on and clothe yourself in our brokenness Uh, and I just recognize the ugliness that I've caused you to walk through and God we just confess that right now and for some reason we get to be the object of your your affection and we get to be the ones you rescue. And I just thank you that you created a way and that you call us back to you, God, over and over again. So God, can this just um, be true for us tonight? Can you just whisper in a way that each one of us here, God, can hear how much you love us God, in how you want to defend us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.